1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll begin to read with verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our heart. For we never used either words of flattery, as you know, or a cloak for greed, as God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, whether from you or from others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nurse taking care of her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember our labor and toil, brethren. We work night and day that we might not burden any of you while we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our behavior to you believers. For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to lead a life worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now lest I do not get through all of it, there are three points this morning I want to share with you. First, if you're going to do what God wants you to do with your life, you need to set a goal. Set some goals. Verse 12, Paul had a goal. And all that he was trying to do with these believers, he said, so you would lead a life worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So verse 12, set, set the goal. Verse 10, you need to set the pace. You are witnesses in God also. Verse 10, how holy and righteous and blameless was our behavior to you believers. So we need to set the pace. And then verse 8, we need to share our lives with others. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Set the goals, set the pace, share your life. And this is what Paul did. Now, we need to set some goals for our life. And Paul had a goal for the people he worked with, for his own life and for those with whom he worked. You see it here, verse 12, to lead a life worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Romans 8:28. for those whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to become conformed to the image of his Son. And so this was a thing Paul was always working at. In Galatians 4:19, he mentioned, my little children of whom I travail in birth again. He'd already travailed in birth one when they became Christians. And he said, now I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Now it's stated many ways in the New Testament. Full maturity, growth in maturity, all this type of thing. Christ being formed in you. But it's all saying basically the same thing. And that is that these people are to become fully mature. Uh, in Jesus Christ, allowing Him, His life, to be reproduced in us. His life in us, our yielding to Him. Now, Paul said in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, the Phillips translation, so naturally we proclaim Christ. He said, we warn everyone we meet, we teach everyone we can, all we know about Jesus, so that if it's possible, now notice, if it's possible, we can bring every man up to full maturity in Jesus Christ. He said, that's what I'm working at all the time 
with all the strength that God gives me. Now, Paul said, this is what I work at all the time, all the time with all the strength God gives me to bring every man up, every man is possible, to full maturity in Jesus Christ. Look in Ephesians. Uh, you can hold your finger here and flip back to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 11. And his gift were that some should be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers, for the equipping of the saints. Now, let me just point something out here. He gave the apostles, prophets, all these people for the equipping of the saints. Now, after in your translation, probably after saints, there's a comma there. There was no punctuation like this in the Greek, and that's probably misplaced. And if you have a little pencil, you might just want to mark an X there because it breaks the thought. See, the pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The saints are to do the work of the ministry. They're the primary ones out in the everyday life who are to do the work of the ministry. It sounds like here, the pastor's to do the work of the ministry. No, the pastor is to equip the saint, and the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so here, pastors and teachers are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, you see this again and again. We see it in 1 Thessalonians. We see it uh, in Ephesians. We see it in Colossians. We see it in many, many places here where Paul's talking about full maturity in Jesus Christ. That's what I'm always shooting for. Now, in order for that to be true in our life, I think we need to really have some goals. We need to know where we're going. Now, a goal is just simply that place where you want to arrive, that end result as to where you want to be. Now, the strategy is just basically the plan you have for getting there. And, you know, one of the sad things in the lives of most Christians, they have no no overall goals. You know, if you could walk up to a communist, a real live, genuine communist today, and say, why are you living? Well, it wouldn't take him 30 minutes to tell you. He could probably tell you just immediately what his overall life objective was. Now, we need an overall life objective. You need to get something in mind as to what you're going to do with your life. See, it's impossible to know how to get there if you don't know where you're going. I mean, you know, when we leave here today, it makes no difference. You know, which way we go if we don't have a destination. But if we plan to ride back Norman, it's very important at some places as to which way we turn that car. Now, have some goals for your life. Search the Scriptures. Try to work out some goals. Try to get such that you can say in one or two sentences, basically, what your overall life objective is, and then head in that direction. Now, you know, in Proverbs 13, 4, and this is a, a good verse you may want to memorize, Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing. Now, here's a guy that has desire. He desires, but he has nothing. Now, some of you uh, probably you here at this retreat, and boy... There's been tremendous desire in your heart. You know, man, I'd, boy, I'd like to. I, I want God to use my life. What these people have been saying have really hit home me. I have a desire for my life to count for God. This guy did too. He had tremendous desire, and he accomplished exactly nothing. The soul of the sluggard, the lazy person, desires and has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Desire plus the diligence equals 
abundance. And it's said in many ways in the Scriptures, but this is idea. There has to be more than desire. Boy, you can desire to reach your goal, but unless there's some diligence. You know, Proverbs uh, 20, verse 4 says, A sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. Basically what it says is this. Here's an old farmer, and one day it's time to plow, but it's cold. And so he just decides he won't do it. He will not plow by reason of the cold. Circumstances aren't right. Boy, when he gets out of college, he'll do it. The idea here is here's a man. He's a sluggard. He's a lazy person. And circumstances are never right. And circumstances are never right for the sluggard. He's always going to when circumstances improve. He will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore, in harvest, he shall beg and have nothing. Now, many of you would like to be able in the future to be able to know the Word of God and share it, like Wayne perhaps has done with you in some of the sessions. You think, man, I'd like to know that, but do you think that one day Wayne got down on his knees and prayed, God, give me a knowledge of your Word? And you know what would have happened if and Wayne's probably prayed that something along that line. You know what would have happened, though? God would have said, get up and get after it. You know, to memorize a verse is kind of like memorizing Shakespeare or anything else. You don't get this sudden burst of inspiration from heaven and it's just easy. You know, it's work. And there needs to be some, di some diligence in our life. And you know, if there's ever a man that was under the control of the Holy Spirit, it was Paul. And yet you look at that guy's life. Man, that guy was constantly at it, going, traveling. You know, so he said, through many a sleepless night, well, I've missed sleep a few times in my life, but you couldn't add up my life and say many sleepless nights. But this was true of him. I'm not necessarily advocating that. I'm just saying here was a man who really knew where he was going and decided to get with it. There has to be more. And uh, I want you to turn, if you will, to Judges chapter 7. Can you find that? Joshua, Judges, Ruth, over our early part of the Bible. Judges 7-2. Some of you on your campus, you think, well, man, there, you, you know, 20,000 students on my campus, and we got 25 students here. You know, that's not very many. Well, maybe this will encourage you. Judges, chapter 7, verse 2, page 236. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand has delivered me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him go home. And Gideon tested them, and twenty-two thousand turned, returned, and ten thousand remained. Well, he lost twenty-two thousand on that little test. God said, Gideon, you're going into battle. Does someone remember how many people there were the enemy had at that time? I think we'll come across it here in a minute. All right? He had 32,000 men, the first thing God said. And they were going, I, I forget how many hundred thousand, but it was uh, just uh, fantastic odds against them. And so uh, the first thing God says, Gideon, you got too many people. Because you see, if I give this enemy into your hands, there's too many of you, and the people are going to say, boy, didn't we whoop up on them? And he said, I don't want that. I don't want Israel to vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand has delivered me. So he said, uh, 
You just tell anybody that's fearful or would like to go home, it's perfectly permissible. You don't have to go to battle. If you'd really rather go home, go on home. No condemnation. Nobody will look down on you. Just take off. 22,000 of them took off. So he's got 10,000 left. Well, I bet old Gideon was sweating that, you know, just standing there. Good night. 22,000. Verse 4, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the river, and I'll test them for you there. And he of whom I say to you, This man shall go with you, shall go with you. And any of whom I say to you, This man shall not go with you, shall not go with you. Now, Gideon, do you get the instructions? We're going to go down here to the creek, and we're going to weed out some more. And I want you to know how it's going to be. I'm going to say to some of them, these will go with you, and those will go with you. And I'm going to say, Gideon, these won't go with you, and these are not to go with you. So uh, I'm sure he knew that uh, old Gideon had a fantastic opportunity to panic. So he wanted him to have instructions (laughs) real clear before he got there. Verse 5, So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Every one that laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set him beside, likewise every one that kneels down to drink. And the number of those that lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, were three hundred men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will deliver you, and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. Now, let's pause at this moment, and then we'll go on at this point. Now, here was a picture. They go down to the river, and someone is well pointed out. Some of them just, you know, just lay down on their stomach and start drinking water. Well, it's kind of hard to watch the horizon and watch the enemy, you know, in case somebody's sneaking up on you when you're laying on your stomach with your head in the water. So before, God let some of them go back because they had... No desire. If you don't want to go, go back. 22,000 left. God still said, we cannot win the battle with the rest of the 10,000. Because in the first place, I'm going to do it. And I think in order for God to be able to do it, he has to have a certain kind of people who will let God do it and who will be obedient to that which he says. And so then they go down the river, and those that reached down with their hand like this, dipped water and drank, were 300 men, and God said, I'll take those 300. And I think one of the reasons for that is these men had some knowledge as to how to do battle. You don't just stick your head down the water when you're in enemy territory. But they could cup their hands, they could still watch the horizon, they could watch the other bank and drink water. Now, I think here there's an indication that these men had some skill. And in order to be used of God, there does need to be some skill involved. Now, and this is what I'm talking about, about goals. You can have a tremendous desire to account for God and never amount to anything. I know a fellow, and every time I see him, I remember years ago, and I'd talk with him about memorizing verses and things, he'd boy, yeah, I really have a desire to do that. And every time I saw him, he had a tremendous desire. Look at Proverbs. Well, let me just look it up for you. Proverbs, jot it down, Proverbs 21, 25. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Boy, that's a beautiful picture. The desire of the sluggard kills him. He has tremendous desire, and it just eats him alive. But there's only one problem with that. He's lazy. 
He won't work out that which God is working in his heart through the desire. Philippians 2.13, it's God which works in you both to will, to give you the will, and also to perform the doing of it. God works that in, and it must be worked out through your life. God puts that desire in your heart, and you've got to get after it. And it's God working in and through you, but he gives you the desire, and you must respond. And that reminded me of that fellow. And I used to think of this verse when I thought of him. Boy, just a tremendous desire. And every time I'd seen him for years, tremendous desire. Not long ago, he came by and he said, Max, there's something I think I ought to tell you. The fellow's in full-time Christian work. He said, my wife just left me. He's got two little kids. Well, that really didn't surprise me. Because I know for years he's had desire, but he never would get with it. He did not have a scriptural home. I knew him when he was dating. And I knew that the tremendous problems in the flesh. And he just never would really get with it. Now, these people here with Gideon, they had some skills. And if there's any one thing I could encourage you to do, if you're going to be used of God, you're going to have to learn and become proficient in ministry skills. Like, you can desire to be used of God, but do you know how to lead a darn Bible study? Do you know how to have a quiet time? Do you know how to memorize verses? Do you know how to get anyone else to do that? Do you know how to follow up on a person? If I could come to you today and say, all right, this guy except the Lord last night, I want to put him in your charge, and uh, when we come back next year, we want to see this guy turned on. We want to see some guys around that he's one to the Lord and some fellas he's helping. Now, he's in your charge. If he doesn't make it, as far as I'm concerned, we're going to come looking for you because it's not basically his fault. Like Larry mentioned the other night, you don't say the young baby who dies because he's got the cans and the can openers there all about his bed. You just weren't sincere. Could you do that? Or would somebody say, Bubba, but why? Well, I'm, I'm taking him to the pastor. Well, I don't know what he would do with him either <laughs> in most situations. Learn some ministry skills. You want to be a man who's equipped of God who knows what he's doing, who knows how to lead Bible studies, how to win people, how to build into their life. And this is a never-ending process. And there's much that I don't know about this. And I'm trying to learn. And you have a tremendous opportunity on your campus to learn some things along this line. Learn some ministry skills. You know, I've heard pastors preach for years, as Jack mentioned the other night. You know, pray and read your Bible. Well, how many people in a church where you go are praying and reading their Bible? I mean, with any kind of consistency. I mean, really getting after it. He can preach that till he dies, and they'll never do it. And that's what's happened. A man came to Dawson Trotman years ago when Dawson began to learn some of the principles of training men. And he said, Dawson, and in the early days, Dawson had really tried to get him having a quiet time in Bible study. But no, he was going to pastor his little church. Well, it's fine to pastor a little church, but he never would really grasp the principles of building and winning and training men. He saw him years later, 20 years later, and this man said to Dawson, he said, Dawson, he said, in the past 20 years, I've pastored, I think, four or five different churches. He said, I do not know one man in my church today or in any one of the other churches I've pastored in the, the past 20 years who's really walking with God as a result of my life. And boy, the day ought to come in your life in which you can stop at any point and there'll be people around you following you as a result of the kind of life you've lived. And if you will so walk with God and learn how in turn to help people, learn how to memorize verses, 
I know literally hundreds of people through the years that are memorizing verses. I really do. Because somebody showed me one day how to put them on cards and memorize them. And I started doing it and I tried to plop it on everybody I could after that. And I know students at OU and I know them at other places who are having quiet time because, you know, I began to have a quiet time. And it's just this kind of thing. We're simple people and monkey see, monkey do. I want to talk about the second point, which I've already gotten into. Setting the pace. Verse 10. 1 Thessalonians 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. And he says here, You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our behavior to you believers. Let me just share some other verses. I've shared some of them with you when we were at Kansas State. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Paul says, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Now here... Paul simply told other people to do what he was doing. 1 Corinthians 4.16, Wherefore I beseech you, be you followers of me. Philippians 4.9, Those things which you both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Boy, this so simplifies the Christian life. All in the world you have to do is just walk with Jesus and turn around and tell people how you did it. And that's exactly what Paul did. While we're here, just quickly... Look back to the first chapter of uh, First Thessalonians. Look at verse... I just want to hit some highlights. The latter part of verse 5. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. See, here's the kind of life I live. I set the pace. I live the life. Verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. That's always a purpose. It wasn't just to follow Paul. Paul walked with God. They began to follow Paul. They were following the Lord. Verse 6. Verse 7. So you became an example to believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad. So they report concerning us what an entrance we had among you. Here's a picture. Paul walked with God. These people began to follow Paul, and then the first thing you know, they were example to other people who began to follow them. And all through the Scriptures, you see this idea, setting the pace. Whatever you want people to do, you do. Monkey see, monkey will do. You pray for those people, you help them. There are people back on your campus that do not have a quiet time. You know why? Because you don't. And if you begin to have a quiet time and begin to pray, and over a period of time we'll begin to share that with some people and see them through it over a period of time, help them with the problems, they could go on having a quiet time. And then they, in turn, could get someone else to do it. And this is the old idea of spiritual multiplication. Being and embodying in your life what you want to teach. Okay. Now, this involves some priorities. Some things are more important than other things. And see, I think this is one of the problems with college students. If you look at their lives, are they living according to their priorities? All right, I want to reach this goal. In order to reach that goal, there's some things that need to be in my life. There's some things that I need to do in order to get here. And so, therefore, I arrange my schedule and align with my priorities. Some things are more important than others. There's no way to live on a college campus today and really live in victory without you being in control of your schedule and beginning to really plan it. Because there's always something going on. And so you begin to think, okay, in order for me to arrive out here such that I'm growing in maturity in Jesus Christ, such that I'm knowing His Word and I'm able to share it with others, all right, I need to memorize some verses. I need to have my daily quiet time. I need to be in Bible study. I want to be available for the meetings which they have at the BSU that will be helpful to me. Like 
I mentioned earlier the Bill Gothard Conference. There's probably not, well, there may not be any in this room, and probably very few of you, but what if that was a priority in your life? You could get to one of those conferences this summer, a week conference. Just a matter of your deciding. I think it's that important. I'll do it. But you've got to, you've got to begin. Priorities means just setting things up in order of their importance. And so you've got to begin to do that on a college campus. All right, the last point. Share your life. Verse 8. Paul says, you, We were affectionately desirous of you, and we weren't willing just to share the knowledge of God or the gospel of God, not just the words, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. You know, one of the reasons there aren't more people that really go on for the Lord, flip back to Philippians 2, just a few pages back, Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul is writing to these people, and at that time he's talking about Timothy, wanting to send Timothy to them to help them. And in chapter 2, verse 20, he said, I have no one like Timothy or like him who will be genuinely anxious for your welfare, who's genuinely concerned about you people. Verse 21, he says, why? They all look after their own interest and not the things of Jesus Christ. You know, one of the reasons we really don't care where people make it in a Christian life or not is right at this very point. Paul says, the reason why I don't have many people I could send to help you people in your Christian life is because all people are seeking their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You know, it's amazing to me. As, uh, I have an opportunity to get around and, and learn some things from different people, but looking back about people who are growing in a Christian life and someone began to help them who didn't know one thing about follow-up. I mean, they didn't know anything. Nothing. Zero. But they just loved those people. And they wanted to see them make it. And they prayed for them. And they encouraged them. And as far as all the techniques and methods, things you think, man, that guy didn't know anything. And yet that fellow makes it. And you know why? Because they just simply prayed for them. They loved them. And they shared their life with them. And after all, that's what Paul did. Now, there's some skills and ministry things which we can attain. But at the same time, the real issue is, are you willing to give your life to other people? Now, this is basically the way Paul had his ministry. He had some goals. He set the pace. He was an example. And he got people following him. And he just literally shared his life with people. Well, you know, one of the things we desire to see, as we began to think uh, several years ago about this, and then especially after Wayne came, we, we talked about it, we prayed about it, we thought about it a great deal. And we begin to think about the big eight. How many BSUs, uh, how many schools do not have BSUs? Well, or at least if they have them, they do not have directors. And, and what students need is uh, not just necessarily volunteer workers because what they need is more time, not less. And so we begin to think, well, you know, Iowa State, Kansas State, and Nebraska. And so we felt like God gave us a burden. Well, why don't we just start where we are? We're in the Big 8 Conference, and let's just get some people scattered out. Well, now, out of the four schools, at least, it, I mean, out of the eight schools, at four of them, there are people of like heart. You know, I don't know about some of the rest of them, and maybe we'll get a chance to help there in the future. But one of the desires that we have is just to see in different places across campuses across this nation is just plant someone. Now, the secret to it is a person. The secret to the work on your campus is, is it, started, it starts with a person. And then the first thing you know, it's not one person. And already on your campus, it's not just one person. It's not just the director anymore, but it's several of you who are close in, who pray with the director and who work with them and, 
And man, this is a burden which you now have. And you know, beyond a, I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, five, six, seven years from now, even less time than that, somebody from Nebraska will be on somebody else's campus. Somebody from Kansas State and Iowa State, you'll be scattering out to other campuses. It's our desire to see this happen on college campuses all across the country and eventually in foreign countries and not only on college campuses and other places. But we believe that this idea of just the basic things I shared with you today, they work and this is what we want to see. And you can have a part in that if you'll really get with it and ask God to use you. And this, uh, we don't believe by any in any way that we've arrived. We have all answers, but we know that the methodology on which it's built is sound because it's taught in the Scriptures, and as we try to allow Jesus to use our life, this is what we want to see. Okay, let's pray together.